Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome back to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard. I am the R-N-O-S-R. And uh, joining me this evening is a man who has been on here several times. He is uh, the, I, I believe you now have the most appearances of any guest on Rollin' Bones. And I feel like every time you come on here, you break your own record. But uh, without <laughs> further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Levi Combs from Planet X Games. Welcome back. Hey, man. How are you? <laughs> I am doing great. How are you? I'm good, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's either you or Tim Mathias from Knights and Nerds, and I feel like you guys are always like right there next to each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming for the crown, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Although, uh, Luau Lu is uh, making a fast bid for uh, similar status, and I feel like uh, John McGuire is also uh, trying to horn in on your action there, so... Well, you just named two dudes that I absolutely love. John, I, I talk to John every single day. And uh, Lou, man, th I don't know that there's anybody else in RPGs except for, for maybe uh, Dan Yodano yep. on Twitter. I love um, between those two guys, they're the most enthusiastic people for RPGs. I just, their, their uh, enthusiasm for, for games is contagious. So um, I, just, I like just love being around both those dudes. Mm -hmm. I, I need to bring Dano on just for a Dragonlance specific show. Yeah, yeah. dude. At, uh, at Gamehole, um, I've seen him walk by, and he would just stop, and in the middle of the entire hall, he would just go, "I love Dungeons and Dragons," <laughs> <laughs> and everybody would just yeah, you know, just clap or uh, mm -hmm. or laugh. His enthusiasm was just infectious. It was awesome to have him around. Absolutely. Uh, Crafty, you, you mentioned one of these days you'll get out to a con and uh, shake hands. You should come to North Texas this year if you can make it. Yes, please. I'll, I will leave a seat open in any game you want to. Come to North Texas. Mm -hmm. You have an auto. Yeah, there's... I, at this point, I've got tons of people... When I first came to North Texas, I had tons of people I wanted to meet. Now I have even more people that I need to meet because, I mean, last time I was there, I only kind of sort of ran into Jeff Tulaney, and it was before he came on here. Uh, so I'll need to, like, have an actual conversation with Jeff. Uh, Eric Tankar, I also, like, ran into, but, again, he hadn't been on the show before. So I'll need to have a conversation with Tankar. And, you know, I think there's several other people who will be there that have been on the show that I just haven't 
had the chance to talk to yet. Yeah, all of those are great dudes. The, the beauty of that con really is that um, it's not like any other con. Um, the closest in like, like I don't know, vibe or or just like uh, how friendly everyone is, is like ShireCon. Uh, and then on a much larger scale, and I don't know how he makes it work, um, hard work, I guess, but uh, is Gamehole. Gamehole is another one of those extremely welcoming cons where... Um, you know, nobody has a chip on their shoulder and nobody's walking around like there's somebody. It's just a very cool con. And, uh, you know, you can get it in any, in, in any kind of game you want, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Now, we'll circle back around to uh, cons because, I mean, like registration for North Texas games is going to be happening sometime soon. Uh, but for tonight, we actually have a topic to discuss, and that is the topic of Weird but- Fantasy versus Gonzo. Um, and I want to preface this by saying I have an understanding of what weird fantasy is. Weird fantasy is a very important concept when it comes to what we do here because it is the, uh, almost the primordial soup of role-playing games. But Gonzo, Gonzo is a weird concept when applied to things other than Hunter S. Thompson. (laughs) It's almost, it's like the old joke about uh, pornography. You you can't explain it, but you know it when you see it. It's <laughs> a very good analogy. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll let you get into that, but I guess to, to kind of begin things, um, what was your first encounter with Weird Fantasy? Oh, uh... So my easily, easily my very first encounter with with weird fantasy was Appendix N in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, but I didn't know that it was Appendix N at the time. Um, my mom was an avid science fiction reader. And then um, when the Science Fiction Book Club came along, you would always see it like in the back of like Omni Magazine or sometimes the back of like a... I don't know, like, you know, um, a family magazine or a TV guide or something like that. You would see these ads for the Science Fiction Book Club. Um, and at first, like, the offerings were kind of bland, and she was just kind of going through and, like, rereading stuff that she had read, you know, earlier in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they broadened their spectrum to include fantasy, and I was kind of just coming up on that, like, 9, 10, 11-year-old, you know, um, segment of my life to where I was really into reading basically anything I get my hands on. I was reading a lot of my mom's like old science fiction, like, you know, like Robert Heinlein or Asimov or, you know, Joe Haldeman or you know, things, just things like that. Uh, Harry Harrison's, you know, uh, stainless steel rat and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when the fantasy stuff became available, you know, I had already liked like Thundar the Barbarian. I'd had a, I had liked a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, had been way into the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon and just kind of liked like He-Man and, Conan and the Savage Sword of Conan, things like that. So when these these books showed up on uh, these fantasy book books showed up on the science fiction book club, I was like, "Mom, can I get a membership?" That was like the first time, like you know, like mo- most kids, they sign up for like the the twelve tapes for a penny thing, yeah. science fiction book club instead. So um, I, right off the bat, I got like you know the Elric series and uh, the Chronicles of Amber and you know the Jack Vance stuff and um, just, you know, all that, all that kind of, uh, all the kinds, of, you know, um, was it Dilvish the Damned and Shadow Jack and all these, you know, really strange, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Hobbit, you know, it wasn't 
I'd, which I had already kind of read and absorbed and enjoyed, this was kind of like a like all kind of off the rails sort of like you really you know you didn't really know what was going to happen like especially with Elric you know he's such an anti-hero mm-hmm. uh, you know and then you get into like um, like the Chronicles of Amber where you've got all these you know royal princes and princesses and they're all you know. Uh, maneuvering against each other and they can do things like walk in shadow and they're walking the, you know, the, the pattern and they're, you know, all this crazy stuff is these really interesting, um, ideas. But, um, but yeah, I didn't know it was appendix in, but that was, you know, my appendix. And then of course, Lovecraft, you know, that was another, another big, uh, big piece of, of the, of the weird fantasy, um, uh, portion. I mean, he has, he has, sure he has a supernatural horror stuff, but he's got a lot of like really, Kind of dreamlike, weird stuff like you know, uh, was it um, the Silver Key or uh, what is it, uh, Unknown Kadath and all that, all that stuff? Like mm. some really stories, but yeah, Appendix in just didn't know it was Appendix in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think my first encounter with it, um, my my introduction to fantasy was very conventional. Uh, it was the Lord of the Rings movies because I'm twenty seven. So that that was my uh, first exposure to fantasy. And then, like, I read the Aragon series, which you can laugh at me for that all you want. Uh, when I was in sixth grade, Aragon was the shit. Um, oh, Aragon had been around when I was in sixth grade. I would have read every word. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, when it comes to weird fantasy, my first exposure was I was in Barnes & Noble. I had a Barnes & Noble gift card. And they've got those like leather bound complete works of Sherlock, complete Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, leather bound classics that they have at every single Barnes and Noble throughout the country. They had a complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, and I knew vaguely about like the idea of what Cthulhu was. I knew you know there's this whole Lovecraft mythos, and my thought was. If I am to consider myself a nerd, I have to have this book on my bookshelf. So I bought <laughs> the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, and I started reading them, and that was my uh, kind of baptism by fire into oh, wow. uh, weird fantasy. Was reading Lovecraft. Oh man, that is. And you were how old? Twelve. Uh, I was not twelve when I read H.P. Lovecraft. I was like sixteen. Oh okay, okay. Yeah, because I was right around. I want to say I was, I was much younger when I when I encountered Lovecraft, but it, it was initially through the Deities and Demigods book because that was the coolest of the book. It had all the all the Cthulhu gods or old ones uh, that were drawn by Errol Otis. Yep. So I was like, "What are these things? Like, yeah. this is a this guy's got tentacles all over his face. This guy, you even say his name, like demons show up and carry you away. Like, this is this is crazy." Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, of course, made me go out and find the first paper paperback I could find that had uh, Lovecraft's name in it, you know. And then, of course, science fiction book club. So, yeah. And what's weird about kind of my my weird fantasy uh, pedigree, as you know, people who tune into the show know, I, I didn't know that I was related to Robert E. Howard until like two years ago. So, <laughs> so it, cool. it, it wasn't even a thought in my mind to pick up the Conan the Barbarian books. I knew I would have loved them when I was 16 just from reading them now. But, I mean, to me, Conan was Arnold Schwarzenegger at that point. Right. So. Oh, it still is to a lot, to a lot of folks, you know. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. 
you know, those movies are classics. I mean, who doesn't want to watch, you know, Conan the Barbarian and, you know, HD, you know, sitting back with the with the sound turned all the way up so you can hear that awesome score. I mean, that's I mean, all those people who got to go see it uh, in the theaters mm-hmm. here recently, I guess it was the 40th anniversary. Yep. Like, man, what an experience. What a nostalgic experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Perfect. But yeah, it's interesting that you mention all the tentacles because when I looked it up, uh, uh, like on Wikipedia, just to get a little bit of a primer on how do you define weird fantasy? Uh, <laughs> the, one of the first things it mentions is the notion that what differentiates it between uh, are from like regular gothic horror, regular fantasy is tentacles. Monsters with tentacles don't really appear in conventional fantasy, I guess with the exception of the giant squid in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. But that's or one the, of the main things that it mentions. Yeah, there's the monster outside the door, the, the door at the at the dwarven caverns and Fellowship of the Ring. There's that that thing. I, I don't know that I would I would I would go with that. Um, I don't know. May, maybe I, I haven't given it much thought. But like that seems like a weird line to draw between uh, fantasy and weird fantasy is the inclusion of tentacles. It sounds more like it has you know like Japanese stuff. <laughs> Sounds like more that would be the 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 line between you know that. So I don't know. When I think of like what is weird fantasy, I I'm like okay, like so fantasy is like Tolkien, you know, that's your basic kind of fantasy, or Terry Brooks or somebody like that. That's fantasy, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I think of like weird fantasy. I'm thinking of like Michael Moorcock, Roger Zelazny. H.P. Lovecraft, and almost not even really Robert E. Howard. I mean, there are just definitely some 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 weird fantasy aspects of that, but I think that's more sword and sorcery. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not so much weird fantasy. Like, more of what, like, uh, Jeff Talanian does with, um, with uh, yeah. Astonishing yeah. Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Like, it's very, very, almost pitch-perfect sword and sorcery uh, vibe to that. Uh, although, that it does have its, its, its weird fantasy moments, of, of course, because um, he's you know, influenced uh, uh, you know, by a lot of the same things that um, influenced a lot of us, you know, uh, of a certain age. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, kind of the differentiating factor between traditional fantasy and weird fantasy is there are a lot of things that are just off the table in traditional fantasy. Traditional fantasy is, it, it's of the Tolkien lineage. It's um, kind of well-built established worlds uh kingdoms and stuff like that you're, you're never going to be exploring middle earth and find a thousand year old crashed ufo no. <laughs> but in weird fantasy of course you would uh, that's a very good point um yeah, so like you're, you're talking to like tolkien and, and things like that like are like king of elfland's daughter or like mm-hmm. uh you know, like the King Arthur myths and things like that. It's very, very fantasy. You know, you have your witches, you have your wizards. There's elves have pointy ears and carry bows. You know, dwarves live deep under the ground. Um, you've got your, you know, your centaurs and your trolls and, you know, different things like that. And there's a ton of books, both in and out of Appendix N, that have all those kinds of influences. Um, and if you listen to that, uh, it's, I, I think it's called Monster, is it Monster Man? J- the James Holloway's uh, podcast? I want to say it's called Monster Man. Um, but he does a great breakdown sometimes of like where some of these monsters come from, like the monsters that we see in D and D now 
like where like the various like um, literary references where they originated at. Like, why does the troll have the long carrot-like nose and the black sunken eyes? Well, it was in this book, you know, that Gary Gygax obviously read, mm-hmm. and there was a picture in in this version. It kind of looked like that, you know. Yeah. So. You know, these, these, uh, there's all these divergences of where all this stuff comes from. Uh, but he really goes uh, deep deep into it. Um, and another guy who does that is our is our friend Stu Horvath over on uh, G. Like, he'll track down, like, the, the the craziest, like, thread that goes all the way back. And, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm like, sitting with rapt attention because I'm listening to, like, where the cloud giant came from. You know, <laughs> like, well, why is it? Why, why does it look the way it does in the in the uh, in the monster manual? Hey, here's why, and here's a 20 minute explanation on it. So yeah. very very. I, I cannot wait to read his book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be because he's not. Um, it's not going to be like anybody else who's ever tackled this subject because he he has a, a much different view, I think, than a lot of the purists who write. Um, who have written books about the history of Dungeons and Dragons or RPGs in general, he's got a very different, he comes from a different place at a different time mm-hmm. and really a completely different outlook. So I'm super excited to see like what his take on everything is going to be. Cause I know it's not going to read like anybody else, not that anybody else's is wrong or different or uh, bad or anything. It's just, his is going to be an alternate take an alternate look on the evolution of this hobby and just the, um, the history of these games. It's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Gonzo. As for defining yeah. Gonzo, which I have already set the stage as being uh, a difficult. Um, I, again, I, I when I think of Gonzo, besides you know, a blue muppet shooting himself out of a cannon, I think of uh, Hunter S. Thompson because that's where the word kind of enters the the modern vernacular is. Uh, Thompson describing his journalism as gonzo journalism, which just meant he was not just in the story, but a central part of the story. And because of all the various substances that Hunter S. Thompson ingested in his life, uh, lots of weird, exaggerated details make their way into the narrative. Uh, Now, applying that to fantasy or science fiction or you know genre literature and gaming how do you reconcile thompson's uh kind of you know vision of gonzo with what we typically would describe like a a gonzo uh sci-fi or fantasy story as well you're certainly right that that's where the term came from came from hunter s thompson you know uh describing his journalism in in that fashion you know um is the way that it kind of relates to fantasy or sci-fi. I think it really is all about um, like how things will unfold in a, um, a surreal or bizarre fashion. Mm-hmm. Like not just a troll, it's a two headed troll that squirts, you know, lasers out of its eyes and will vomit forth an ooze that can take multitudes of shapes. You know, that's just way, way over the top. Yeah. And you might label that as like, extreme weird fantasy but hey let's go a step farther with gonzo and the troll looks like bart simpson you know or some other crazy pop culture reference or it's wearing like a i don't know like a uh where's the beef t-shirt or something <laughs> like like that's kind of where you get into gonzo territory where like it doesn't have to make sense mm-hmm. as long 
cool or interesting or will make somebody at the table kind of laugh. You know, all of the adventure elements, all of the the details about monsters and uh, locations, especially and rooms and scenarios, they're all wildly exaggerated. You know, mm-hmm. uh, or at least it's like par, kind of par for the course. You know, there, and there's a lot of games that do that 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 have those exact scenarios where where all of those all those um, qualities are you know are in there. Um, mm-hmm. And again, pop culture references are are often often present in that um some of them do it way better than others <laughs> gonzo is that's a wide scale it could be we could be really really well like um operation unfathomable by jason schultes fantastic um or you can go kind of on the the lower scale of things and um you know have stuff that's that's not so good yeah uh, crafty matt raises an interesting question in chat here would you consider big trouble in little china to be gonzo Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so it's definitely weird adventure for sure. Um, wow, that's a great question. Let's see. Does it is is it fantasy that unfolds in a surreal or bizarre fashion? Yes, absolutely. Um, and it's really over the top because there are you know why does Lopan need to need to marry two brides and why do they have to have eyes and it's like so you know far out there then he's got all the like you know all the different hells that he will that he will banish you to to you know you're gonna go to the hell of a you know of a thousand tiny cuts or the hell of boiling water or or whatever it is i don't recall um and do things make sense or are they just fun right they kind of like they Kind of doesn't really make sense. I mean, there's all kinds of cool little bits of myth and stuff in there, and and, what, and they then John Carpenter strings it together, and the actors do a great job of putting everything together. But you know, all in all, like Jack Burton just ends up killing him with one shot to the head, you know, with a, with a knife that bounces off a gong or something. Or, he catches it, and throws it back. Mm. So like, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's exaggerated, it's surreal. So so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah, Matt. Like the it is Gonzo. Like that's that's a again very good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say Gonzo, but you know maybe it's straddling that line like weird adventure in Gonzo. It's it's a straddler. It's like Arduin. Arduin's a straddler. Yeah. <laughs> and I've actually had this conversation both with Crafty Matt and with uh, Crossface. I don't know if Crossface is watching tonight, um, but they have both said to varying degrees that Dungeon Crawl Classics is Gonzo. I don't necessarily see it as Gonzo, at least not in like a pure sense, but what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think DCC, I know it lends itself to being played in a Gonzo fashion, but do you think the Dungeon Crawl Classics, as it shows up in uh, you know the core book, is Gonzo? No. Okay. No, I think far, far more weird fantasy. You can, you can tell right from the get-go the aesthetic the way it's written, the spells, the the mighty deeds, the the the, the patron taint, everything, all the little things that make Dungeon Crawl Classics so cool, makes you feel like you're you're playing again for the first time. That is all out of Appendix N, all weird fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it has, and yeah, so the artwork and style, like guys like Kovacs and McDevitt and Stephen Pogue and all these guys that do all that great work. Um, it lends it a very kind of dark feel or like almost like a metal feel to it, you know, like a heavy metal yeah. dungeon kind of feel to it. Uh, but that's all by design. And it really serves the material because 
it is, I mean, almost more than any other game, I think, it is weird fantasy. Because yeah. um, it's definitely not Tolkienish, but it's definitely not like Chalt. You know, it's right. like yeah. own thing. It is, it, it, as a matter of fact, I'll go out on a limb and say that it is, it is the weird fantasy game. Um, especially uh, a game that has sword and sorcery, heavy sword and sorcery influences and vibes. But yeah, I'd go so far as to say that it's the weird fantasy game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And and part of what led me to that conclusion was, I I think it has the reputation of being gonzo just from people who have heard secondhand things about DCC. But when I talked to Harley Stroh, he told me that almost the first thing out of his mouth about DCC was people think it's weirder than it actually is. And that when he and Joseph Goodman and Mike Curtis all get together and play DCC, they run it almost like it's Conan. So to me, and I know like there's a difference between how it appears, how it's written and how it's run. But when it's run by the people who created it in a certain way, I think that tells you, uh, pretty much everything you need to know about the way it was intended to be run. Yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting that he says that they run it like Conan because uh, if you give that a minute of thought, like yeah, that absolutely absolutely makes sense as far as like all the mechanics that are built into that game and like how deadly it is and um, especially the way magic works, like mm-hmm. that makes so much sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I I bet if you asked all those guys, I bet they would say weird fantasy. Um, they like like me when people call my games Gonzo, I like blanch at that. I'm like, uh, uh, it's not really. That's not really. That's not what I was shooting for. I was shooting more for the weird fantasy, the the appendix and feel. But uh, all right, you know, you, it's, it's, you people can you play the game any way you want to. I just don't feel like it's very Gonzo at all. Um, you know, you're not going to like step through a magic portal in a dungeon of mine and end up at a McDonald's, you know, yeah. or, uh, you know, it's not going to be like, uh, what was the old, uh, was it Dungeon Land and, um, oh, the Land Beyond the Magic Mirror. Mm-hmm. It was those old, uh, f- uh, first edition AD&D modules where it's like, it's like Alice in Wonderland, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, nothing like that. Now that's gone, I think that's and not weird fantasy at all. And I think uh, Gary Gygax wrote in a very gonzo manner because when you play uh, like Castle Greyhawk and you go down into the basement and you run into like the Star Trek cast, I mean, that's gonzo. No, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's just one of many things. Like he had, was it um, like uh, he would sometimes send characters to Mars or Barsoom? Yeah. and then they would be there with you know the ray guns, and then of course you've got barrier peaks, you know, mm-hmm. which is really like the the titan that a lot of like modern weird fantasy like stands on the shoulders of, um, as far as like uh, the way it's adapted to, to RPGs, because um, there have been an endless stream of imitators, myself included, uh, who have have riffed on and homaged that module. Uh, everybody from from my, like myself with Howling Crater all the way down to like anomalous subsurface environment, um, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, and then you know Pathfinder did that whole craft that whole that whole uh, crash ship scenario. And the, but how many times we've we seen that? It's, it's it's like a lot a lot of times. Um, and it's really just interesting seeing people's different takes on on that particular trope, you know, of science fiction and fantasy mixed together. But like I said, Gary Gygax did it first as far as. RPGs go so 
that's a Titan, man. We're standing on standing on those shoulders. <laughs> and and when oh. it comes to Gonzo, um, I I want to kind of split Gonzo into two categories here, and and I will call these uh, in the manner that people split camp into high camp and low camp. I will call these high Gonzo and low Gonzo. So for me, high Gonzo is stuff that's very kind of artsy with its Gonzo. This is like Alejandro Jodorowsky and uh, Zardoz to a certain extent. These are things that are, in the worst examples, very high on themselves with their Gonzo. And in the best example, you can tell that they're, uh, they're trying to say something kind of bigger with the weirdness that they're putting in there. It's not just weirdness for its own sake. It's weirdness to drive at a point that might be a little esoteric, but there's still something that they're trying to get at with the weirdness. And then there's low gonzo, which would be <laughs> stuff like Chalt, or uh, now, now I can't think of another example of it, but stuff where, like the example you gave, uh, a Bart Simpson troll wearing a Where's the Beef t-shirt, that would be like low gonzo. Right, very very low Gonzo. Where would you put like David Lynch and all that? I think I, I'd, I'd put s- him in the high Gonzo category. I know sometimes he'll dip down into low, but I feel like it's all in service to some to, to creating a uh, usually an uneasy environment, uh, yeah. just to kind of I guess further the discomfort of his main characters because that seems to be a very uh, a Lynchian thing to do is to make his yeah, main absolutely. characters as uncomfortable as possible. Suffer, 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 yeah. Um, sometimes he puts him in a, you know, demonic lodge for 25 years. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So if we're, ta- if we're talking off RPGs now and we're going into to, to movies, uh, Jodorowsky for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever seen Holy Mountain, I'm assuming you have. Yes. Okay, yeah. If you've ever seen Holy Mountain, like, what? Like, what? Well, yeah, the first couple times you even watch it, like, what did I just watch? Like, what is, what is even happening? You have to watch, it's one of those movies you have to watch, like, eight times before you start to understand, like, what he's going for. I gotta read a book, I gotta look at four or five articles on the internet, like, you know, I gotta think about it for a month, you know, then I might start to glean, like, oh, that's what he was saying. Yep. You know, this movie, and that's that would definitely be high Gonzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now that we're talking about movies, uh, there's actually, I, I feel like, one exception that is what I will call high-low Gonzo, and that would be the Coen brothers. Huh. Oh, like, what specifically? So I'm thinking of The Big Lebowski. I, th- I okay. think The Big Lebowski is a very Gonzo movie. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. But the, the weirdness in that movie some of it's there for its own kind of weird sake, but it's also there again to, to create an environment to replicate the noir environment where the main character is completely in over his head. Um, Oh yeah. 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 No. Um, and I think all that is very much by design. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get it. I can see why you would call that high, but yet, you know, kind of high gonzo, but kind of like uh, sneaking down uh, back behind the, the uh, bleachers to have a smoke. Yeah. Kind of. And, <laughs> kind of. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou is very similar in that regard. See that? Both both of those movies masterpieces, by the oh, way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Coen Brothers in general, um, they do a lot of stuff like that. Like, uh, Did you ever see A Simple Man? Uh, no, I haven't seen A Simple Man. 
So it, it's a great film, but for me, the best part of that movie is like the first like ten minutes of it, and then like of course the ending. But um, but watch that first ten minutes. If you don't watch any other part of it, watch that first ten minutes uh, with the uh, with with the Dybbuk. Um It's very very uh, it, it's it's an, it's an interesting interesting um, story, but. Um, yeah, Coen Brothers. I didn't think about that. Like I was thinking, like we were going to go into like Army of Darkness territory, you know, because Army of Darkness is one of those things where like it's very creative, it's very um, uh, busy and exciting. Mm. But uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that does poke at pop culture. You know, with the with the uh, the skeletons doing the whole Larry Moe and Curly thing and poking the eyes and. Yeah. All the little jokes and you know it's half comedy half half like horror mm-hmm. um, you know the Klaatu Parada Nikto uh, reference with the Necronomicon all that stuff that's all very in my opinion is very gonzo mm-hmm. it's not horror it's not so much comedy it's just them kind of just just going way off in the you know uh, crazy territory yeah and I, honestly I think pre-Spider-Man Sam Raimi is very gonzo and I, I'd put him on Saying someone is low gonzo, by the way, is not me trying to insult them, just so everyone out there knows. Um, I'm not saying that a low gonzo work is better than is, is worse than a high gonzo work. Uh, not at all. Like if we were going to categorize Big Trouble in Little China, that's low gonzo. But <laughs> so, but 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 a, a genius piece of cinema. Yeah, absolutely. you know, like absolutely enjoyable, eminently rewatchable. A thousand times, you know, you can watch that twice a year, every year, you know, if you, if you had the mind to. Um, Specifically, even like beyond, back to Sam Raimi, even beyond um, the Evil Dead trilogy, which is very gonzo. Um, I don't know when you last watched Dark Man. Oh, yeah. But that movie, <laughs> I, that is one of the most deeply weird and fascinating movies of all time. The fact that it began life as a shadow adaptation is interesting. Um, the whole notion of like the, the visions that Liam Neeson is seeing uh, throughout that whole movie, it, it's very gonzo. The, the way that he interacts with the world once his face gets melted off. Right, um, so, yeah. I never. It's another one I never really thought about, though, uh, like that. So, yeah, very cool. Yeah, I actually, I, I made my wife watch Dark Man with me uh, not oh. too terribly long ago. She's a huge Liam Neeson fan. Not anymore. <laughs> and so I was like, let's watch this movie. Uh, you know, it has Liam Neeson in it. He's the main character. It's you know Sam Raimi who made Spider Man. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a dark take on a superhero movie. And she's like, okay. And we watch it. Now, I, I almost forgot how weird it was. <laughs> I knew, like, I knew this movie was weird. Um, I, honestly, I, I really just wanted her to see the elephant scene. But... <laughs> but my favorite, I think that's everyone's favorite scene in the whole the, the whole movie. That's like the, the quote that I always hear when somebody brings up, uh, brings up Dark Man. Yeah. <laughs> But I was watching that movie, and, I, you know, I love Darkman. Darkman's a fun movie, uh, even considering just how, like, bizarre and, and macabre it is. Um, yeah. But, I, I mean, she fell asleep during it. I was just like, oh, yeah, I, this movie's probably and, not for you. <laughs> and, 
and, and it had its own Marvel comic for uh, for for uh, several issues. There was the old the Dark Man comic. Yep. Not good. Not good. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what Jeff, other? Oh, sorry. Go I was, ahead. I was going to say what what other uh, kind of veering it back towards RPGs. Like what other Gonzo uh, RPGs? Like have you have you consumed or or have you played or or read or just picked up? So. We've already mentioned that Dungeon Crawl Classics is more in the weird fantasy camp, uh, but I would say that Mutant Crawl Classics is very much in the Gonzo camp, uh, especially when you get people like Skeeter who uh, decide to mix DCC and MCC together and throw you in a, uh, for all intents and purposes, a haunted server room. <laughs> Um, so I feel like Gamma World and Mutant Crawl Classics both, I think um, they're kind of like post-apocalyptic games that have the reins completely thrown off. Yeah. So one of the straddlers, I think. I think they straddle the line between... They straddle the line between um, like weird sci-fi and then complete gonzo. Like uh, Jim Wampler, um, he wrote a, a module called... It's like the flying head of Atos or the head of something Atos is in the um is in the the, the the title, but it's all about, you know, like, you know, your members of this, you know, wasteland tribe or jungle Globern jungle tribe. Um and uh, you know, you the usual you're raiding and you're fighting. Anyways, there's this giant like head from Zardoz mm-hmm. that you can pilot around and and, um, and and whatnot. And uh you know, so that has it's again very uh, surreal in the fact that you know you're you're like a caveman almost, you know, coming out of the the post apocalyptic um, era, but then all of a sudden you're in this giant stone head and you're you know flying <laughs> this crazy wasteland. Yeah. Uh, it was a really good module, but again, it has that pop culture reference to it. Um, but it's not like with like a wink and a nod. It's just a cool riff on an idea. You know, he's obviously it's there for nostalgia's nostalgia's sake. Um, but it's it's a cool, uh, it's just a really cool uh, mechanism, a, a thing that your characters can do. Because who's not going to forget that one game where you get to fly around the stone head and, and, and blast monsters? Like nobody will forget the cool idea. And another one, while we're on the subject of uh, Crawl Classics compatible, uh, our mutual friend David Beatty, uh, Weird Frontiers, I I feel like the thing that really differentiates it from Deadlands is that it has more opportunity for Gonzo because, you know, you can't play a luchador in uh, Deadlands, but you can in Weird Frontiers. You can't play a time traveling, like a displaced time traveling sin eater in uh, Deadlands, but again, you can in Weird Frontiers. Very much so, yeah. Uh, that's just a, a great, um, you know, in, in the vein of all the, you know, crawl classics, you know, all the all the all the Goodman stuff, all the, all the stuff that's derived from DCC. Um, it's probably my favorite, you know, of all, the, um, and. You know, David, you could tell that everything that he put into it was genuine. Everything that he put into it was something that he wanted to see or that he wanted to play. It really is just a, God, it's just a masterwork of, of like modern fun gaming. Um, I played it last year with him. 
I played a game with him last year. I played Luchador, actually. Actually, we were all Luchadors. That was a cool thing. And it was kind of like a Hellboy in Mexico meets um, From Dust Till Dawn sort of thing. And we got to fight vampires and we got to, you know, come up with the names for our own moves and do all these dynamic, like, flips. It was really, it was a crazy off-the-rails game. We had a blast with it. We actually, like, clapped afterwards. Like, that's how good it was. Like, it was just a really, really fun time. Um, yeah, so Weird Frontiers, man, is just... Man, I mean, you could kill somebody with that book on, yes. its, on its own. Yes, you can. Um, but, man, what a game. What a game that is. Um I did. I didn't really consider it Gonzo until you brought up those points because it does have a surreal bit. To, it does have a surreal bit to it. But um, I would call that. I would. I would rank that more up into like the the funner Gonzo, rather than the more kind of more exploitative Gonzo that um, some works kind of kind of go down into. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about Spelljammer being a Gonzo uh, property? Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I, I can see. Um... Because you have, I feel like Gonzo necessitates a mix of at least two genres together that don't necessarily go together. And with Spelljammer, you have fantasy and space opera, which have gone together. But the way that Spelljammer does it, they don't fit quite so coherently together like they do in, say, Star Wars Mm -hmm. or, you know... John Carter, I feel like, is also a mix of fantasy and space opera. But uh, the other thing about Gonzo is the two things have to almost clash with each other. It's kind of intentionally gaudy in that way. Uh, Mm. So I I do feel like there's a, a little bit of a clash of styles between, you know, it's a space opera, but the ships are ships. And yeah, everyone's. You know, fantasy. So yeah, I, I do consider uh, Spelljammer to be Gonzo. Yeah, because you think about all those points, yes. But then, like, you start getting into like the the guts of of Spelljammer and like all the little things. Like, there's the well, the the orcs are um, the space orcs are just called Scrow, which are the orcs backwards. <laughs> um, and there's all this, you know, all the weird, the Zodar and the Neoji and all this, all this weird stuff. And the Flogist, uh, was it Flogiston between the, between the stars? And, mm-hmm. um, there's all that. It's, it's, it's very unusual. Um, but if I, if I call Spelljammer Gonzo, do I also have to say that like Dark Sun is Gonzo? And when I say that out loud, like I don't feel like Dark Sun is really Gonzo, but it's got some, got some crazy stuff going on in there. <laughs> you know, hey, mm-hmm. Like Dark Sun comes out, um, okay. So like nobody wants to play humans. Let's uh, let's make let's make half dwarves and half giants. Well, hey, psionics didn't really work in first edition, but hey, second edition, let's give everyone psionics. Let's make, hey, let's make the halflings cannibals. Let's make um, the every you know the the world is inhospitable, like a Mad Max kind of thing. But uh, you know the rulers of every city are dragons, and you're just like. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about, man? Like, it's just so, like, and the elves are evil, and there's all this, you know, craziness going around. It's almost like they take every trope that you expect from, like, a, um, oh, from, like, a, like a Tolkien-esque kind of thing, and they completely invert them, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know that I would call Dark Sun 
Gonzo, but I certainly because it doesn't feel that way to me. Mm-hmm. But it kind of hits all the same points that I'm making about Spelljammer. So it's like if Spelljammer's Gonzo, I might have to say, you know, like realistically, like logically, wouldn't Dark Sun be kind of you know Gonzo as well? I, I don't know. I'm also struggling to call Dark Sun Gonzo, and part of it's the way that I run Dark Sun. Um, I I tend to run Dark Sun in a way that's very, uh, I guess you would call it grim Dark Sun. Mm. Like, everything is very uh, oppressive, and mm. just like the weight of the world is constantly following characters around as they're traveling through this way i feel like gonzo has a sense of oddball fun to it yeah even if you can tell that the characters are very uncomfortable like in a david lynch movie there's a lot of just kind of madcap zaniness to everything yeah i think you know you know you're right it's a very good point i think that darkson would fall more into like a like a grim dark yeah or like Dark fantasy, like uh, I don't know, like Lamentations of the Flame Princess or Zweihander or uh, what is it, Shadows of the Demon Lord? Mm-hmm. That that grim dark stuff, you know, um, where it's like low magic uh, but high, like you know, like in Zweihander, it's like really easy to die, yeah. you know, like it's like one of those, you know, and that that's kind of like a, one of the things with with like the grim dark stuff is like you know. Yeah, you you can you can face you can face off with that guy or run away, but if you face off with him, you might get wounded and then later die from that wound. You know, like yeah. You know. <clears throat> so it does kind of have that. Uh, it does kind of have that element to it for sure. Um, but that you know, that's I mean, another thing though is that dark fantasy, that grim dark stuff. That is not Gonzo. No, like no, we just talked about Lamentations of the Flame Princess and you got all that stuff. None of that is is, is Gonzo. So. Um, yeah, great point. Dark Dark Sun would not fall into the Gonzo category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely there. There's a certain tone that has to be struck to to kind of meet the uh, categorization of Gonzo, like like we discussed. It looks like uh, Orcus Dorcas uh, Scott here in chat agrees with us and, and said essentially the same thing as us at the same time. So. <laughs> What's up, Scott? <laughs> but. I mean, you know, Gonzo, again, <clears throat> has to unfold in that kind of surreal or bizarre fashion. There's the pop culture elements. At least for me, that's that's what it defines. A lot of people would, would say that doesn't have to be evolved, but for me, it's like almost integral that there's that pop culture feels to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, the wildly exaggerated, um, you know, locations, monsters, creatures, NPCs, um, along with, um, you know, stuff doesn't have to make sense as long as it's fun. Or plays at the table, you know. <clears throat> yeah, Gonzo. There's this sense of manic joy to everything Gonzo related, and when you get too straight faced or too serious, even if there's weird stuff going on, you leave the realm of Gonzo. Uh, so, mm. like, I mean, Dark Sun's a good example of that. You know, so is Warhammer, so is uh, Zweihander, uh, The Witcher. And anything where your your characters are mostly like scowly, world weary, uh, yeah, <laughs> warriors and like I've got a tragic back. You're you're not gonna have someone. The man with no name is not gonna show up in a Gonzo story. 
<laughs> well, he might, but he won't be any man with no name that you recognize. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and uh, on a completely different subject, going back to just like examples of Gonzo games, Crafty Matt uh, mentions a, a good one here, Ultraviolet Grasslands uh, yep. by uh, Luca Reyes, if I remembered how to pronounce that name correctly. Uh, from when he was on the show years and years ago, all of his stuff is pretty Gonzo, including Witchburner, including Ultraviolet Grasslands. Um, yeah, it's it's psychedelic heavy metal. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, it's like you're playing it. It's it's like you're playing a game of Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's like it's like uh, Cosmos uh, uh, Panatos is uh, is your is your DM. You know, it's very very. Uh, Again, psychedelic. It has 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 a heavy metal vibe to it. At least that's the vibe. I've never played Ultraviolet Glassrands. I've just read the book, mm-hmm. um, but that is definitely the vibe that I get from it. It's a, very similar to like, um, uh, was it Into the Odd? You know, mm-hmm. kind of the sort of uh, a feel. I think. Yeah. Now, to to ask kind of an odd question here, I know we you know we've kind of laid out some examples, so. And this might even be a difficult question. If you had the option right now, like, hey, we're going to play a game. Do you want to play a weird fantasy game or a gonzo game? Which one would you choose? Oh, weird fantasy. Um, And and again, it's it's the stuff that I like to write. It's the stuff that I almost always end up buying. Um, third-party stuff, especially DCC stuff. I'm not one of those guys that buys every DCC product, but when I see... Products by like guys like Harley or, or Brendan or Michael Curtis, guys um, that I either um, have have played with or you know, or, or know. Um, these are uh, you know creators that that I really enjoy their work. So and I always know that like um, like if I get a um, an adventure and it has Marzio's name on it, <laughs> I know it's going to be awesome. You know, like mm-hmm. the Star Baden was just like Jeff's kiss. You know, it's just so good. And that's another one of those weird fantasy games. So um, I'm picking up that DCC stuff. I'm picking up, <clears throat> for all the same reasons I picked up like all the Arduin stuff. Uh, I picked up all the Planescape stuff. And I like all that Monty Cook game stuff. What is it? It's like uh, Strange. They did a bunch of work on Planescape after uh, after Zep Cook. They did Numenera uh, in the new one. Um, it's called, what is the one with the Comet? Um, it's awesome. Plane Breaker. Yeah, the, all that stuff. Extreme weird fantasy, you know, but not Gonzo at all. It's just it's just so strange and weird and different than your dad's D&D. You know, those guys, they're, they're creating worlds and building gamescapes that, you know, Monica Games is like, they, they just, they, they do the coolest stuff, man. They they really, it's like an idea factory over there where they got like, they got like Monty Cook, they got Bruce Cordell, it's like uh, Sean Reynolds, all these guys that were like killers in, you know, second uh, and um, early third edition D&D uh, went off and they're doing their own thing and they're just murdering it. Like, it's just amazing. But some of the stuff they, they do, like that Plane Breaker especially, like I got that and got it home and finally kicked back with that. And I, I thought, well, I'll look at this for 10 minutes. And it was like an hour and a half later. I'm like, just like, this is like just a source book of ideas. This is fantastic. So mm-hmm. I, I yes. would have to, I'd have to agree with you. Um, 
as you mentioned, there there is an element of psychedelia that is necessary in uh, Gonzo, and I have always had trouble digesting psychedelia. I I'll just come out and say it. I'm too square for psychedelic stuff. The but- the uh, like Pink Floyd is as psychedelic as I can go. Uh, to be perfectly honest, um, it, it's a me problem. Like I, I know I've, I'm just not that guy. Like even, and this is like a deep dark, uh, fantasy confession, especially for someone who purports to be an old school gamer. I even have trouble with Moorcock. Moorcock mm. a lot of times gets too out there for me and maybe i need to expand my mind a little more either figuratively or literally um but i i always kind of trip up whenever something seems a little too psychedelic and i'm just like i can't this isn't a route that i can follow you down uh so for me i think weird fantasy all the way you know if if you're having trouble with moorcock um actually skip the Elric stuff at first and go to, he wrote some books, uh, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name. It was like King Brass. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he has the eternal champion thing kind of the same way, like, you know, there's Conan and Solomon Kane and Cole and Bram McMoran and, you know, all these, you know, different guys are really the same guy. He kind of does, he kind of has the same thing going on with his eternal champion where he's got all these, you know, different, um, uh, what is, it's King Brass. Uh, it's like I'm trying to think of the name. It's like Corwin or oh, I can't. God, man, I'm losing my geek cred because I can't remember it. Um, God, I can't. I can't remember the hero's name. But um, look up that book, King Brass. There's 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 some cool stuff. That 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 whole series about that about that hero um, is great, and it's, it, it could be a primer that you could go into, and then. Hey, now I can try out Elric. And if you can't read the Elric books, try listening to them on audiobook. Yeah, uh, I think Neil Gaiman is actually the guy who who reads the audiobooks. So that might that might um, be like an easier primer for you if you really want to check out uh, the weirdness <laughs> of Morcock. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is it is it Hawk Moon? Is that who you were thinking of? Yes, yes. Again, I lost my geek cred. Yeah, Hawk Moon. There you go. Thank you, yeah. Scott. Yeah, brief. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> yeah, Hawk, those those Hawkmoon books are are, are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a primer that you can read. That's it's like Elric Light. <laughs> Not quite as bizarre as uh, you know the Vanishing Tower and all that other stuff. You know, yeah. Check check out Hawkmoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I, I might just have to. I, I have the the Elric. Uh, like big collection audiobook. I might need to just go back and try it again. Uh, this time I will skip the introductory story by Neil Gaiman because I think uh, Neil has some kind of dark associations with the time in life where he read the Elric stories, uh, which really kind of, by the time I finished his introduction, I was just like, well, that was a bummer. And then we go into Elric, and I'm just like, I don't know that I feel like reading this anymore. So I'm is that like, the one? Is that the one where the young writer kills himself? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was a. It was a bummer. <laughs> but yeah, listen. He's phrasing. He's framing things in the way that he found. Um, 
you know, that, that he found Moorcock for the first time, and mm-hmm. he's framing it all in a story, and he, he does what he does, you know. Um, it, it is a bummer, but you know, still, it's still a pretty good story. It's just not what you want to read, uh, maybe not what you, what you want to listen to right as you're going into, um, you know, this epic story about an anti-hero. I, it, 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 when I think about it, you're right, that is a that is a weird comparison, but again, it might be like uh, Jodorowsky, where I need to, you know, think about it for a while, read some articles, <laughs> study up in some books, you know, before I really understand what he was he was probably doing there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, but it's... I, I mean, to me, it's really interesting how um, weird fantasy, like I said, is the... It, it's the influence on D&D and therefore on the rest of, like, fantasy role-playing. Mm-hmm. But Tolkien-style fantasy is what caught on as, like, this is what fantasy means in the zeitgeist, like, in, in to, to modern people's minds. But D&D is also allowed to coexist alongside it. And so you have these two very different concepts of fantasy that coexist with each other and borrow from each other and a lot mm-hmm. of people try to conflate them, but... I, I found people who have a very purist Tolkien mindset when they first mm. get into D&D or, uh, you know, DCC even more so or, you know, OSE or something like that. When they first encounter that weird fantasy stuff, it they almost feel like it's not fantasy anymore. So it's interesting how these two things uh, coexist with each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tolkien... Um... You know, Tolkien is so that. Yeah, but before there was D anD D, you know, um, Gary obviously read, uh, you know, Tolkien. But I don't know that it was necessarily that big of an influence on him, right? Uh, as, as as some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a big influence on the culture um, because you know he, Tolkien wrote those books, and then they were kind of forgotten for a minute, and then in the sixties. They, they come back, you know, they're like, it's like a big deal, you know, Led Zeppelin is singing about the Misty Mountains, and, you know, there's all this, you know, all this, again, that cultural zeitgeist is is, is emerging. And, um, again, it might not have been a, 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 as big an influence on Gary as, as some people would think, and I, and I don't know, I'm just, this is just conjecture, but it was a big deal for, um, for people who were into fantasy or people who were discovering fantasy in the, the mid to late sixties going on into the early seventies and we get D and D, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, who knows, who knows what the, what, what the truth is with, with that. I mean, I'm sure a guy like John Peterson or, or Stu or somebody like that could, could <laughs> school us on the, uh, the, uh, the exact, uh, details on all of that. But, um, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's it's interesting to see someone like uh, Ralph Bakshi, who was very gonzo in his uh, his filmmaking and his influences, and probably more of a uh, if he were reading fantasy, it would be more Michael Moorcock or stuff like that. Uh, try his take on Tolkien. So you you almost have a weird fantasy Tolkien movie in a lot of ways. Well, then he does Wizards, yeah, right. And then you get, like, there is a real, like, kind of, you know, definite weird fantasy, almost gonzo feel to that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would full-on classify Wizards as gonzo just because of all the, like, 
Nazi stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, Bakshi and Von Bode and all those incredible artists, man. They they were products of their time, but you know that uh, it's got some very disturbing imagery in the, in the in, in Wizards. Um, you know, there's a reason <laughs> why it's not celebrated. You know, uh, day obviously. You know, it's not 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 something we're showing our kids for sure. <laughs> I'm not going back. I've seen it, but I'm not going back and rewatching it the way that I'm watching, like, oh, I don't know, like heavy metal or something like that. You know, like I'm not, I'm not revisiting <laughs> that. Like, I'm not watching that like I would watch like Jaws or Dirty Harry or any of the other stuff from that era. Mm-hmm. Now, Fire yeah. and Ice, on the other hand, hey, Fire and Ice is great, man. You can't put that down. Fire and Ice is uh, for the whole family. You, well, you know, no, so, it's not. But quick, quick, quick story about that. Um, when I was a kid, my parents took me to the video store. They're picking, you can pick one thing, but it has to be a cartoon. So I'm looking around all the, all the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe tapes have been rented out. You know, I'm there, we're there late, nothing. They got like My Little Pony or, you know, whatever, all right, episode of G.I. Joe I've seen like a thousand times. So I'm wandering around like dejected because there's, you know, obviously there's no Star Wars or anything like that because that stuff hadn't even out on video they, that wasn't even you couldn't even get that at the video store at the time so i'm just like walking around dejected and there i see it in my sight <laughs> up on the shelf, fire and ice and i'm like oh i'll take that and uh my parents didn't blink an eye because it was a cartoon we get it home and it's like whatever five minutes in and there's boobs and you know there's all this other stuff going on and, and they're like what did you rent <laughs> Like what? What the? Hell? And I was like, I don't know, but man, but but leave it on. <laughs> yeah, like it was crazy, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fire and ice. Man, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. Oh man, that movie. Oh, that movie is great. Hey, I, I got a question for you. Would you count? Um, would you count Planescape as weird fantasy or Gonzo? Because Planescape is, as, as we talked about this before, is out of all the settings for for D anD D, it's my favorite. I would hesitate to call it Gonzo because I, I, there's a lot of weirdness, but I feel like a lot of the weirdness fits together because I mean, like Sigil, Sigil is the Moss Eisley of the gods. Right. So, like, everything there is kind of on the same playing field, the same level. I don't feel like you're going to run into anything super out of the ordinary in Sigil or in Planescape because everything's out of the ordinary. Um, And also, it is kind of taken pretty seriously. It's... I don't see Planescape as having like a manic, goofy grin on its face uh, with the stuff that it does. It does some weird stuff, but it, again, it's it's all kind of treated very seriously and, and treated as like, this is the way things work and everything follows a certain logic and, you know, it adheres to a certain set of rules and order and, you know, obviously the Lady of Pain enforces all of that, but... I think that I, I, again, I, I can't necessarily call Planescape Gonzo. You're a thousand percent right. It is absolutely not Gonzo. Um, I would almost even so. It's definitely weird fantasy, but it's not a straddler. Like Arduin is a bit of a straddler right. between between a weird fantasy and Gonzo. And I love Arduin too, but 
Um, Arduin had much more of like a pop culture-ish sort of nod and wink sometimes. So, yeah, it was deadly on, on one hand, and it didn't make sense in a lot of areas. It was just fun to play. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of lore, and there was a lot of like really cool like connected bits with Arduin. And I think Planescape's like origins, at least in like maybe not in the way that like Zeb Cook conceived it. I, I don't think its origins um, belong in Arduin, but I, I do think there is a kind of a, a nod and a wink to Arduin with with the way the way Planescape feels, especially the way with the way that later authors, maybe guys like um, Cordell and, and Monty Cook, especially, kind of picked up the reins when they were writing Planescape. Like you can tell that those guys. At least I think um, that they enjoyed Arduin at, at, at some point. You know that they that they that they had read those little brown books and that they had they had enjoyed them. And when I think about Planescape and like where it fits in the weird fantasy Gonzo, there's nothing Gonzo about Planescape to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking at those. Uh, you know, we were looking at Dark Sun and Spelljammer, and I thought, well, what about Planescape? You know, like what if does that fit in any of those molds? And I don't think it does. I think it's just a super well thought out and um, super opportunistic and uh, just really well put together um, uh, campaign setting. I mean, really the options are limitless, not, and not just sigil. That's just one tiny part of, of Planescape. You, mm-hmm. Once you once you have a great wheel and you can go really anywhere in the multiverse, I mean, all bets are off. You've got the factions, you've got the gods, you've got all that crazy stuff going on in between and like the astral and ethereal like it's there's some cool stuff going on in in that setting. Like it, it really is the door is blown wide open, and you can do anything. You can go anywhere if you have the right key or the right access, or you know you have the the right adventure hook. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm stunned that 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 um that that has not been picked up in modern times and given its its due justice. I mean, on one hand, I'm kind of like happy that it hasn't <laughs> because I. You know, I not not that new things ruin old things for me, but like I would really like to see it have justice be done to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's you know with the the folks who handled Spelljammer and Dragonlance. And so, not that I'm putting that down. It's just not my cup of tea. Um, and I would rather see Planescape be presented in a way that's more my cup of tea. But that's just, you know, listen, that's just me just. And I, here, here's my wish list, you know. Um, but in the absence of that, we have stuff like Plane Breaker, and we have stuff like Numenera and uh, The Strain, all that stuff the Monty Cook games people are doing. It's all like a progression from their work, more or less, at, le- at least in like a, a feel to it that that Planescape had, you know. That's where those guys made made a lot of their bones was was doing all that really cool Planescape stuff, you know. I mean, what a job. Like what an opportunity to, to to get to work in that setting. Like so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the trouble with Planescape and why it hasn't really made an appearance, uh, like with with five E or, or anything more modern, it requires a certain level of reverence and I think self seriousness and kind of taking the world and the game and the lore seriously and there's not really a desire to do that within uh the watsi ecosystem i i I mean we've seen the way that they've handled ravenloft uh that's Mm. just not how they make games there so 
to take on something like Planescape, it would be super watered down Planescape. And I mean, even just like the the task of putting all that stuff together in Planescape. Uh, Zeb Cook talked about how stressful that process was to to build uh, the, the world that is Planescape. I don't think anyone wants to replicate that, uh, especially uh, with what, you know, like modern expectations from, from Hasbro or Wizards of the Coast would be now. Yeah, I mean... Man, I mean, what a concept, what a delivery. I, I've said it before, like, Zep Cook's writing and world building combined with, like, Tony Dieterlizzi's art, mm-hmm. it creates this perfect, like, ethereal, strange world with Planescape. You get that box set for the first time. I remember getting it in the... In the um, um, Getting it in the uh, barn was it Barnes Noble? No, no, no. It was uh, what was the other one? Let's see, Walden Books. Getting it at Walden Books, and you know, popping the shrink and pulling that off, and it's got like you know, like four books, all these maps and all this crazy stuff inside. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a lot. But then you're just reading it, and it's all so cool, um, and it all makes sense. But at the same time, it's 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 hey, it's D and D, but man, it is just like something completely new all on its own. Yeah. We got that and it was just, I mean, I mean, it's what a head rush. And I will net, like I never had that feeling again with opening up um, a box set or a campaign setting. And I've read some really good campaign settings, but I don't think any of them can really, um, any that came before that or have come afterwards can really compare to that first Planescape experience because it was that perfect pairing of Zeb Cook and Tony Dieterlizzi. Like, it was, I mean, talk about two talents, immense talents, that were just perfect for collaborating with each other, but also, like, perfect for the material. Like, it's just, uh, uh, to, to me, it's 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 the best. And I'm, listen, I'm, I love Greyhawk. I love Forgotten Realms. I love Dark Sun, Ravenloft. Uh, I even like some of the weirder ones, like Alcadim and, like, uh, Red Steel, and some of these really kind of offbeat, you know. Yeah. And then... You know, weirder stuff, like, I love Hyperborea, like, uh, Telenian's Hyperborea. I think that's just a, a fantastic game setting, but um, just that, that Planescape, man, that's just a... Man, what a, what a perfect product. <laughs> yeah, and that's... And this is completely a field of the topic, but th- that's a feeling that has not been replicated in a long time is this uh the feeling that you get from reading through those old box sets of you open this box and there's an entire world inside that is essentially given over to you uh i even got that reading through like the dark sun box set the the original the first one that Mm -hmm. came out when i read the material in it i was just like okay this is a this is a world in and of itself that's already been presented to me if I want to add stuff, I can, but I don't feel like I need to, uh, unless you know, unless I get the desire to some point down the road. That's something that I want to replicate with the the stuff that I'm working on. Like that's for for the stuff that I'm working on uh, with Nighthaven. I want to once it's ready have a boxed set for Nighthaven that gives people that same sense of. Ryan's given me this complete playground 
that I can play in. And if, you know, I can add on to it if I want to, but there's already tons of cool stuff in here. And, you know, there's other stuff that I'm working on that I hope will replicate that feeling. So I'd like to see that come back to gaming. Yeah. Um, I get that every now and then with, with certain projects, but it's on a smaller scale. Um, like I picked up this really cool, uh, speaking of weird fantasy, um, that kind of borders on, on Gonzo way more weird, weird fantasy. Um, but I picked up this, um, the supplement a couple years ago called um, Genial Jack. Have you heard of this? I haven't. So, <clears throat> again, it's the, it's like this crazy cosmic space whale. I don't. That's not. Even, I can't. That's not even doing it justice. But there's basically there's a city inside of a giant, like titanically sized whale, mm-hmm. uh, and. It sounds like this kind of crazy, bogus concept, but this this writer, Jonathan Newell, um, the way that he frames it and the way that he writes it and all the, the little interesting bits that he puts into it, it it was like the first product in a while that I picked up to where I was like, oh, this is a whole campaign. It's a whole mini setting set inside of a whale, which I never would have thought of you know, on my own or would have thought that I needed. But as soon as I started reading it, like, where has this been all my life? This, this, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, I see it sometimes on smaller, smaller levels, but not, not like it wasn't in those. When you open up those, you get that. You're taking the top off that box set for the first time after popping the shrink, and you're seeing all the. You know, there's maps in there. There's like three books. There's you know just all this cool stuff in there, and there's a there's a player's guide and a, a DM's guide, a monster book. You know, you're like, oh my god, you spread it all out. You're like. This is so much. Like this is this is fantastic. I could play this for years, you know. And then they start put out all the supporting material for it. And next thing you know, you're hooked. So, um, I wish there was a return to, to to stuff like that. We again, we get it with with stuff occasionally. That plane. I'm telling you, man. That plane breaker book, book by uh, Money Cook Games. Uh, and I don't <clears throat> I don't know those guys. I'm just a fan of of this book. Um, it was really. Uh, it, it made me feel like that again. Like I was like, "Oh, there's just so much in here that's interesting and stuff I could pull from my own campaign." Even if I never play a Plane Breaker campaign or a game, there's so much stuff in there that I could that I could pull from my own home table, you know, and uh, and and do. Um, yeah, so it's just um, I wish there were more products like that 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 gave me that feeling, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That jack. You're, you're, you're pumped after after paging through it so mm. yeah and I'm, I'm sure that's i'm probably shooting too high uh which is why Nighthaven is not the first thing i'm going to release uh because i do want that to be a box set uh that evokes kind of that old box set feeling but oh um, yeah dude bring that <laughs> and i with the box sets that i'm that i want to do i i'm hoping to kind of replicate what ose has with the box sets of uh digest size books because i mm-hmm. think that's I, people like having the big meaty tome on their shelf but when it comes to what's easy to carry around digest size what's easy to play with at the table yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. so as we're kind of running up on our time here, uh, of course, this year we are both going to uh, North Texas RPG convention again. 
Um, things are still being scheduled, so we don't know precisely when our games are going. Uh, I do know that all three of mine have been approved. Uh, have yours been approved? They have all have been approved, and all are happening. I think at nine a.m. They all, all I'm doing all morning games uh, every day that the con is uh, is going. So slip in there and get in, in, in get on in on some some uh, some dungeon crawling goodness. <laughs> I believe I'm running a nine a.m. game on Thursday, but either Friday or Saturday, I I can uh, hopefully slip into one of those. Um. But my games, for, for anyone out there who uh, is hoping to join one of my games, all three are going to be in Nighthaven, my uh, custom-made campaign setting. The titles that you're looking for are The Rot Runs Deep, which will be a sewer crawl uh, with some, uh, some mad science-y twists in there. Uh, then there will be uh, Hard Time, which will be... Uh, a prison adventure. All right. <laughs> and then the last one is called uh, Judgment Day, or not Judgment, uh, Day of Reckoning. And that one will be a mass combat battle scenario that I am running on Saturday night, uh, which will wrap up right before the midnight auction. Nice. Right on. Oh, I'm running, um, guess what are we doing? I'm running Three Curses for Sister Saren. Which is a um, an adventure that um, Mike Lee wrote for uh, Planet X Games, and it's a low level, uh, very very sword and sorcery uh, game. Um, you know, I, I don't want I don't want to give away too much. The module's not out yet, so I don't give away too much. Uh, but I had a lot of fun uh, running it and play test this last year, and it was uh, pretty successful with the people who played it. They really seemed to like it. I'm doing uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride, the Lost Level, which was the new level that we wrote for um, for my very first dungeon. When we did the DCC version, we we, we added a, added another level. Um, so that one has, has, has seemed people seem to enjoy that one. It's a good good four hour block of time. And then I'm going to escape from Skullcano Island, ruins of the Mecha Kaiju, nice. where uh, you explore the the ruins of uh, this old rusting hulk of the jungle on your way to fortune and glory. So that I'll probably throw in like a, uh, like a pickup game of like uh glimmering crypt of the Iron King or howling crater or something, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. I usually do one or two pickup games. Um, but yeah, um, I'm really, really hoping to, I, that, that's all I'm doing. And then I'm, I'm playing the rest of the time. So I'm really hoping to get in on your game. And, um, I want to get on Alex cameras, um, like, uh, fantasy horror game that he's running. Uh, and there's a couple other. Uh, I think Taco John's running a, um, uh, a couple games. I want to. I definitely want to hook up and game with him. Um, maybe Jay Shields is running Aliens. We can get in on that. I don't know. We'll see. There's so many good games. So many um, like you know uh, top quality folks at that con. So you really can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I'm also hoping to be able to bring some recording equipment with me this time and maybe do. Uh, some very loose, informal, late-night live streams uh, oh, while be... I'm there and, and seeing if I can grab a couple guests. I have this, uh, and I don't even know if this would be feasible, I have this grand vision of getting everyone in the IPU drunk and on a live stream at the same time, but I, I don't even know if everyone drinks, so... 
Well, you, uh, two two fifths of us are uh, are going to be out, but I, I think maybe you can get Tulaney and uh, yeah, Ian and I in, in there to, to to do to do a few things. But uh, some of those guys they, they don't partake anymore. So yeah, fair enough. But listen, if uh, if if the Black Sabbath is playing on the on the on the boombox at eleven eleven p.m. and Matt Roberts is buying shots and uh, we're all uh, we're all <laughs> three sheets to the wind. We're out. <laughs> I'm not saying anything, so yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'll tell you right now, if you catch me like that, I'm. I'm down. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. All right, so that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Unfortunately, there's never enough time uh, when you're on the show. I, I wish we, I wish I could go another hour with you, but unfortunately, no, there's, there's never enough time. Always a good time. All right, well, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of uh, Rolling Bones. Uh, next week, uh, we are going to have Greg, the creator of Ares Chronicles, on here to uh, talk all about his games. You guys have seen him on, uh, you know, Basic Experts show. Uh, you know, he's kicking around on Twitter all the time. He's got some uh, some fantastic games out there. So we're going to be talking all about the stuff that he creates. Um, that'll all be next week. Uh, and also, as a reminder to everyone. Uh, we are still in the thick of this uh, kind of battle for the soul of gaming, as it were. Uh, just because Watsy has, you know, kind of backed up a little bit doesn't mean we're not done getting everything that we can get out of role-playing. Uh, so with that in mind, I am still hashtag RPGorilla. And I hope all of you guys will join me in that uh, when discussing gaming on Twitter or, you know, various other social medias, uh, because, you know, that, that's what we are. We're gaming insurgents at this point, fighting for uh, I, the freedom to not be chained to our computers when it comes to running role-playing games, I guess. It, it seems like that's not too much to ask for, but, you know, you never can tell. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody has a license on your imagination. Exactly. Exactly. Our creativity should remain unshackled. So yeah, that's still going on. I'm, I'm still going to be silly about that stuff. So uh, until then, until next time, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, with Levi Combs here from Planet X Games. I hope you guys will buy every single book that he has out there, and I hope you guys will come to North Texas and see us and I will see you guys next time. Let's play some games. Absolutely. <laughs>